The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, I say. Good morning to you. Actually, recording some, I hope, right now, most of this podcast around the normal time. And here's the secret. We're doing it NPR style today because the baby is napping two rooms over. The toddler is watching Team Umizumi three rooms over. But don't tell anybody. I promise I'm a good parent. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, friends. I'm Dan Baspris. This is a hoopball presentation. You can follow us on Twitter at Dan Baspris, D-A-N. B-E-S-B-R-I-S-D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just follow at Hoopball Tweets for all the latest from our buddies over at Hoopball. Shout out once again to the Hoopball Gaming Crew first thing today. They are rolling. Aaron Bruski, by the way, are the architect, El Arquitecto, is 73 and 49 in the bubble. He's just under 60%. Devin Ellington. Our very own Devin Ellington, the wonderful D.A. Ellie, is number four on the tally site rank list of NFL picks and is something like 40 or 50 units in the positive on, on MLB. Ira continues to dominate the NHL and has the entire way through until that finished up last week. And Troy, the soccer man. So excited for what these guys are building. Today in sports betting, an episode every day, breaking down the everyday card of betting. I know if you guys are enjoying me talking about the basketball stuff, that's just the, the logical next step is to check out our guys over at Hoopball Gaming. We're going to keep today's show relatively short. Obviously, shout out mybookie.ag and their continued partnership with us here. We need as many new accounts as humanly possible. So if you haven't done it yet, do it because our handicap yesterday was on the money again. I mean, I, you know, how many times do we need to nail stuff for you guys to jump on the boat with us. How many times? I don't know. Maybe that was it. There are only a couple opportunities left. Maybe one. As, as few, potentially, as one remaining opportunity because the finals could be over on Friday. And after that, I'm not going to talk betting for a while. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on yesterday's podcast of bankroll management as well. But as you may recall... And let's dive right into things now. As you may recall, on yesterday's show, we talked about some expectations from the Heat-Lakers Game 4. I said I'd be hard-pressed to, to not take Miami and the points, even though with Bam coming back, there was an opportunity there for the Lakers to maybe have some actual greater success, believe it or not, with the Heat unable to space the floor quite as significantly uh, I, I believe that what I said yesterday on the side was, I don't know, I, I can't possibly take the Lakers to cover, and certainly they didn't, although that one ended up being a coin flip. So I think our reticence to dive in on the side in yesterday's game was warranted. The number was right. It was a relatively close game. The Lakers were a tiny bit ahead for pretty much the entire ball game. They were just like a couple of possessions up. They never really pulled away. There was at one point, I think, in the third quarter where the Lakers went up by seven, and I distinctly remember Mike Breen saying, this is the largest lead of the game for either team. I'm like, damn, really? 
So that was a good old-fashioned slugfest yesterday, and that's kind of what we expected because the thought was, look, if Bam comes back, the Heat move away from floor spacing and firing. Additionally, the Heat had clearly figured out a way to semi-contain the Lakers, which was limit LeBron and Anthony Davis, don't let them get straight to the bucket, and overcommit to that strategy. Where we saw Denver commit to that strategy, and they had... It seemed like because Denver didn't really have rim protection, they sort of semi-committed. They did what was called pre-rotating. So they brought Jokic towards the paint before LeBron was driving against an inferior defender and forced him, or they thought they were trying to force him to give the ball up early. Problem was, if LeBron got any kind of an angle on Jokic, he could score on him because Jokic can't guard the rim. That's different with Miami. They actually have rim protection. Jimmy Butler is pretty good uh, as a, a wing around the rim. Uh, Andrea Godala, even in his old age, is still pretty good as, as a, a protector of the paint. And then obviously Bam Adebayo, who didn't have any blocks yesterday, but does deter shots if you get near the bucket. They just, where, where the Nuggets had Jeremy Grant, the Heat have three or four guys that can do kind of that same stuff. And, and you saw a little bit of it yesterday where, uh, you know, neither LeBron nor AD had this, from just a numbers standpoint, their box score doesn't leap off the page at you. And a lot of that was by design. That was the Heat saying, look, we're not going to give these guys the opportunity to take 20 shots and make 15 of them. If they're going to make shots, it's going to have to be tougher ones or they're going to have to just beat us. It's going to have to be transition, uh, live ball turnovers, things like that. So what you saw in game uh, three carried over into game four, which was they, they were forcing LeBron to get rid of the basketball. And if he didn't, if the King was making decisions that were based a little bit more on him just sort of bulldozing, he was probably going to turn it over. And he did have six turnovers again until he made the proper adjustments later in the ballgame. And even then, Miami had a really good defensive plan, and they still will. I mean, this series isn't over yet. Uh, they have a couple days off, both teams. This will be good, I think, for both teams. You might see Goran Dragic back on Friday. Certainly for the Lakers, getting Danny Green closer to healthy is a really big deal for them. He's an underrated asset on another championship-level team. It's not coincidence at this point. He's not just a guy that tags along. He has some of the best advanced numbers in the NBA again. But we're getting off topic. Well, we can talk Danny Green later. The point of yesterday's game was, going into it, our thought was, look, if Adebayo's back, we're taking the under. Because I don't think the Heat play a fast game with Adebayo in there. They run a lot of uh, dribble handoffs, uh, balls, not at, as many ball screens, not as much Jimmy Butler isolation. Uh, there's going to be a lot of motion, but it takes... 12 to 15 seconds just to get into that kind of offense. And if the Lakers cover the first or second opportunities there, it's going to be a 17, 18, 20 second shot clock play. On the opposite side, the Heat were doing a good job of getting back in transition. They were forcing the Lakers into three pointers from non superstars. And we saw in the last ball game that those guys weren't really ready to carry the torch. And the Lakers hit 14 threes in yesterday's ballgame. So, I mean, they took a ton again. I don't think we should be surprised by that. This is part of the game plan. But again, it's that same mentality where the Lakers are going to try to 
move the ball towards the key, the Heat are going to bring a thousand defenders down if they have to to prevent a layup, and the Lakers are going to swing it around the perimeter. It's going to take 14 to 20 seconds. Someone's going to get a wide-open three-pointer, but that someone is probably not a guy that really scares Miami. And the Heat basically said, look, we're betting that you don't have enough guys on your team that can make a clutch jumper. And they were wrong in yesterday's game because of all guys, secret stud Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, who after a brutal first game against the Blazers and not particularly good in the last one against the Heat, but other than that, he's actually been really, really good in this postseason. Color me surprised, because I didn't think it was going to show up like this, but he was marvelous. He had a huge three-pointer and a big layup down the stretch. Rajon Rondo went one for seven shooting, but actually ran the offense really well in the fourth quarter. You could understand why he got 28 minutes instead of more like 21 in yesterday's game. But again, not to get lost in the box score, this was the game we expected, which was teams taking longer on each offensive possession, and then on top of that, they underperformed their numbers. So we liked the under at 217.5-218 on my bookie. It was being bet up by the public. I thought you might be looking at like a 210, and then it ended at 198 because of the way the two teams played. Uh, Lakers' 15 turnovers was still a little bit on the high side, not overwhelming, really. The teams did a really good job on both sides of not fouling all that much, although even watching the game, I, I could have made a pretty good argument that uh, the Lakers got whistled for some weird shooting fouls that sent to the Heat an extra the Heat to the line a, an extra couple of times. But just from you know digging into the the very simplistic numbers, the Heat were only on pace to score 99 points in a regular you know if they hadn't underachieved in shooting from the field. Okay, they weren't really expected. It wasn't like they vastly underperformed. They underperformed by a little bit because they shot the ball poorly at 42.7%, but they didn't turn the ball over much, so that helped to boost their number a little bit more. And, you know, 81% at the foul line, again, is decent enough. They hit 11 three-pointers, and so it actually worked out pretty close to the expected number. Uh, Lakers side, they actually were on pace to, to put up a few more points than they scored as well. Both teams underperformed by a little bit, so you, you roll it together. Um, Lakers were expected to be around 104, I believe. So they underperformed by about one possession as well. So the two teams only underperformed by about two possessions, which I think is critical when you think about the Friday game where the line is out and, you know, Lakers by seven total of 216 right now. So they really didn't adjust the number down all that much. I know that it seems kind of like a, a quick, like a like an obvious conclusion here, but this game going ending at 198 when it should have finished at about 203, 204, I think a lot of people, and this is actually something that confuses me a tiny bit just based on the expected, the way the money's expected to come in. I know in general, public bettors love the over, but I have to think that public bettors also love what they saw most recent. Recency bias plays a very large role. And recency bias would suggest that people might bet the under, which, frankly, I kind of like. And people are going to say, what about Goran Dragic coming back? I don't care about Goran Dragic. That just moves Tyler Hero into Kendrick Nunn's job and Kendrick Nunn into no job. 
Lakers had a pretty good plan with Dragic, who even if he plays, isn't going to be anywhere close to 100% playing on a torn plantar fascia. So he's not going to be moving that well. The one thing he does that Tyler Hero doesn't do all that great is get to the foul line. But Hero is, by all accounts, a better spot-up shooter. Dragic, you know, the games are not that different, actually. You make them put it on the ground and shoot off the bounce. Neither one of those guys likes to dribble and then fire. Most of them like to catch and shoot or get it to the rim and then kick out. Both teams were really good defensively in yesterday's game. I thought the Heat had a really, really good plan of basically saying, and I know this is the simplistic way of looking at it without getting into the X's and O's too much, their their plan cut down to its very nubs was make the Lakers beat us by anyone taking a three-pointer, meaning they're going to they're gonna lag off of LeBron James. You guys probably saw if you watched the game closely yesterday that they they basically ran hard hedges against LeBron on screen and rolls. They, they forced him away from the basket and then recovered and they had guys in the right position to where LeBron couldn't get rid of the ball quick enough. So you saw him taking some 30-footers where he was just like, look, all right, if you guys are going to switch while I'm literally holding the basketball 30 feet away and no one's going to guard me, I'm just going to shoot a few of these. And a couple went in, a couple clanged out. The Heat are fine with that. They're fine with LeBron taking three-pointers from a step and a half beyond the line. They're fine with Anthony Davis even taking open three-pointers. For as good a shooter as he has been, that's not his bread and butter. Frankly, I think they're good with Danny Green taking three-pointers right now. What they're less good with, if I had to guess, was Kuzma taking corner threes because he's been lights out from there. Markeith Morris generally, I mean, he wasn't very good in this ballgame, but he's been very good from downtown in these playoffs. And then KCP has been lighting it up. And he hit some big ones in yesterday's game. This next ballgame could go a couple different ways. And this is... I still like the under, don't get me wrong, and we'll do a, a deeper analysis on that game on Friday's podcast, provided I actually can <laughs> record the show on time. But just at a, at a quick glance here, the way things could go differently on Friday is the other Lakers could start knocking down threes. They could have one of those games where they just all start going in, at which point the Heat get buried. That's a possibility. You know, if if Markeith Morris was hitting his threes yesterday instead of going two for eight and he went four for eight, uh, suddenly the Lakers are up by 12 to 15 points for most of the ballgame instead of six to 12. It's it's a small thing, but it makes a really big difference. One guy getting hot because he was wide open in yesterday's game. And I, I think I saw the numbers come out. Uh, KCP was three for six on his open three pointers which was effectively most of them. <laughs> um, and everybody else in the Lakers was 4 for 14, I think. That's not to include some of the threes that were fairly unguarded. The Lakers took 39 threes in yesterday's game, and they didn't shoot a bad percentage. They thought 36% from downtown. But, and I know what you, you guys are saying, like, the Lakers are not a good three-point shooting team. Yeah, I get that, but these guys are still really good basketball players. And if you just choose not to really guard them at the three-point line, at some point, they're going to hit a few in a row. Remember, for a while in yesterday's game, the Lakers were actually uh, hitting them at a pretty good clip. It's how they were maintaining that 8-10 to 10 point advantage. And then the fourth quarter, I think the Lakers missed their first seven or eight in a row. 
the Heat were whittling it down. They got to within one or three or whatever it was. And then uh, LeBron had a few drives where he got fouled. The KCP at the big three, the layup. Rondo had a big layup. And the Lakers were able to push back out in front by, you know, seven to ten points. Tyler Hero hitting a backdoor three-pointer at the buzzer made it a six-point final number. Another thing that stands out at to me when I look at this ball game, and, and I want to continue to talk about what could go gif- differently in the next one. You know, if the Lakers come out and they hit forty to forty-two percent of their three-pointers in the next ball game, that's again the difference of only hitting two or three more. It's not like they would need to blow the doors off the building on these wide-open three-pointers. Forty uh, percent of thirty-nine is fifteen and a half, so they were only off by about two three-pointers in yesterday's game from hitting 40%. And then suddenly the Lakers go from being two and a half points under their expected pace to three to five points over their expected pace. What if they scored 108 or 110 points yesterday? It would have been really simple. That's a difference of basically two to three made shots over the course of the entire ballgame. And then what if that changes the way the game goes? If one team gets out to a big lead, it changes the pace of the ball game because the two teams, the Heat would have to speed things up if they fell behind. If the Lakers fall behind, the Heat will continue to try to slow things down. If it's close, it'll stay slow. What could go differently on the Heat side? Um, interestingly, not all that much. I actually watched yesterday's game, and I thought the Heat hit some extraordinarily difficult shots. Adebayo dribbling into an 18-footer. Tyler Hero, the teardrop over Anthony Davis that he threw higher in the air than he was far from the rim. By all accounts, the Lakers had the easier shots in yesterday's game. We talked about that a lot throughout the playoffs. Which of the teams has the easier shots? Now, that was helpful for us, when we, will de- when we were dealing with series that had a spread of only two or three points, it was very easy to take the team that was getting easier shots when they weren't laying very many points. Lakers laying seven, so that analysis doesn't help us all that much. You can't just say, well, they're getting easier shots, so they're going to win by eight. No, that's too hard. And as you saw yesterday, they were getting the easier shots, but they were up by nine at the very end, and it sat right on the number, and a hero three-pointer flipped it over. The hero three-pointer, by the way, totally changed the way his box score looked. He was at 18 points on 17 shots before that. And a, a desperation three at the buzzer made it look like he had a bigger game than he did. Overall, the Lakers had an answer for almost everything that he tried. And that's what has, throughout these playoffs now, You and LeBron talked about the chess match during his post-game interview, that's what's made the Lakers so incredibly tough, is that they've actually made some pretty good chess moves, and they've sort of worked their way up the difficulty scale. Not to say that Miami's the toughest team they've played. I think Denver's actually probably the toughest team they've played because there was really nothing the Lakers could do to stop the Nuggets. They didn't have a, a, a true weakness on their offensive end. But just, again, from, a, from the chess standpoint, with Portland, it was like, look, we, this is easy. We're just going to uh, run a hard hedge on Dame and CJ and make them beat us off the dribble. We have the big bodies inside to deal with that. They're not going to beat us this way. With Houston, it was double Harden, get him out of the play, let Westbrook take three-pointers. Everybody else is pretty useless. With Denver, it was try to make it a Jokic and Jamal Murray two-man game, put someone bigger on Murray, 
that he couldn't necessarily beat easily off the dribble, force Jokic to back someone down for six, seven, eight seconds and take them out of their offense and hope that they just don't shoot that great. And now with the Heat, it took a couple of games because, you know, game three, the Lakers just really weren't engaged defensively. And I, I said it in between games. My thought was, why are they playing so close to Jimmy Butler? Why are they letting him put the ball on the ground? Make him shoot. Jimmy still had a pretty good ball game yesterday, but his he had to work for it, man. He had to seriously work for it. 22, 10, and 9, three steals and a block is a great fantasy line, and he had a really good ball game overall. But the Lakers put Anthony Davis on him for stretches and shut him down. Shut him down. Duncan Robinson, remember the fading bank three-pointer? The Heat got nothing easy in yesterday's game. Their their easy buckets came on broken plays. The Lakers had a really good defensive plan, and they finally executed it. And when Kelly Olynyk came off the bench, they were ready for him. They ran him off of screens. They were ready for his sort of weird moves towards the paint. And, of course, Anthony Davis staying out of foul trouble was a big deal. I got to give a shout-out in this game. Uh, AD's defense was one of the best defensive playoff games I've seen in a long time. He was everywhere. Contesting threes, contesting drives, blocking shots. He had four blocks in the ball game. He had more blocks himself than the Heat had as a team. He was brilliant. I know LeBron had the bigger game, 28-12-8, and eight, with some key free throws down the stretch, but Lakers had no chance in yesterday's game without Anthony Davis. I think they were, what was the, they were plus 17 with him on the floor and minus 11 in the seven minutes he wasn't playing. He was everything. He was everything to them. The, the only reason their defense worked the way it did is because AD, and I've said this before, and people have told me that he's lost a step, and I said, I don't think so, guys. I think he's just not going full bore during the regular season. You guys forgot what AD did to Portland himself. In his Pelicans days. I know Drew Holiday was on the other end of that at, at the point of attack. But they basically were like, look, AD, you've got a quadrant of the floor. You deal with everything from here to here. And the other four of us, we'll just take this area. This little, this sliver over this way. He's insane. His defense is insane. If Anthony Davis is this engaged defensively on Friday, the Lakers win the championship on Friday. It's basically as simple as that. Because schematically, both teams have each other figured out. And it's just going to come down to effort. And so that's where we get to, and we'll do a Friday uh, breakdown on either Thursday or Friday show, depending on how things go. What the hell is today? Today's Wednesday. Um, for today, I thought it was interesting just to go over yesterday's game and how the pace was super slow. Should have ended at around 2.04. So by all accounts, we do still have a lot of wiggle room on that front. And, you know, I didn't think, it, like, if you're saying, could someone ha explode for a really huge ball game? I, like, I didn't think anybody was particularly great or particularly bad on the offensive side of the ball. Like, Butler was okay. Lakers defended him pretty well. LeBron was uh, okay for most of the game, and then he really woke up late. AD was okay. KCP was very good. That's, like, the one guy I looked at and thought, boy, he had a really good game. And I guess Duncan Robinson had a pretty good game offensively, although... Six free throws uh, and a banked three-pointer. Those nine points go a long way. Should be a good game on Friday, though. Again, he'd have really good plans for how to deal with the Lakers. Lakers role players, they need to knock down their three-pointers. And on the Heat side, I'm sure they're going to come up with something. But at this point, I don't, I don't know what they can try that isn't outside of their personality. Does that make sense? Like, 
the Lakers' personality has also been impacted by this series. But at a certain point, being one of the top three players in the in the world, or top five, depending on which guy in the Lakers you're talking about, it just means more than having other things. Those guys are eventually going to get theirs. And, and for Butler, who's probably a top 10 player in the NBA still, he's going to get his for the most part. But a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, the, the Heat are a better team than the Lakers. They have more depth. Yeah, but does it matter? Does it matter in the finals when AD's playing 42 minutes and LeBron's playing 39? Do you really need depth at that point? Superstar League, unfortunately, sometimes, or fortunately, depending on who you're rooting for, uh, you know, the Heat without their superstar, they don't get even close to this far. Heat culture and all that, but Jimmy Butler played 43 minutes yesterday, and he's a dog, man. He, he won game three for him. So anyway, uh, not trying to make both sides feel good in this analysis, but the Lakers have, I think to this point, taken more away from the Heat than the Heat have taken away from the Lakers. Is that fair? And that's why L.A. got just ever so slightly better shots, and that's why they won the ballgame. That's your breakdown. I'm going to keep this one short, mostly because, I don't know, when a kid might yell at me for needing something. Um, enjoy your basketball less Wednesday and Thursday. Take in some baseball playoffs, if that's your jam. And we'll have another episode for you tomorrow. What we're going to talk about is anybody's guess. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.